Hello, everyone. Happy New Year and welcome to Mindfulness Monday. I hope you all had your own special way of welcoming 2021 into your lives. I imagine we were all extremely eager to see 2020 go and anticipate a much better year ahead of us. For millions of people, one of the major adjustments they've had to make last year was having their children at home during remote learning since schools remain closed due to COVID and many are still closed all over the world. I have a child myself who is doing remote learning, so I understand how that works. For parents who also had to work from home, it was very challenging to juggle both the demands of their jobs and also make sure that their children were getting their educate, educational needs met as well as their emotional ones. And this is where mindfulness skills can make a huge difference in how that can be handled with patience and equanimity, which is what we're going to be discussing today with my special guest. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Hunter Clark Fields is a mindfulness mentor host of the Mindful Mama podcast, creator of the Mindful Parenting online course, and author of the new book, Raising Good Humans. She helps parents bring more calm into their daily lives and cooperation in their families. Hunter has over 20 years of experience in meditation and yoga practices and has taught mindfulness to thousands worldwide. Welcome to Mindfulness Monday, Hunter. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you. It's great to chat again. I know it was wonderful to be on your Mindful Mama podcast, and I'm so happy to host you here today on Mindfulness Monday. So let's jump in by talking about how we become the best teachers from what we have learned in our own lives. As a mindfulness practitioner myself, I can say that I learned the tremendous value of its practice by, by what I needed in my own life. And I can say that that pretty much would be said about you having read your book. You write in your book that your greatest wins as a mom stem from moments of failure. Explain to our listeners how that happened for you and how you discovered mindfulness on your path as a mother. Sure. Um, yeah, I uh, actually I discovered mindfulness and meditation as like this incredible tool in my life before I became a mother. And then to sort of like rewind a little bit, I, I had started my my um, kind of a steady meditation practice, like about two years before I became a mom. And then I remember, you know, I was like a big pregnant mama, like sitting in this Sangha meditation group with this big pregnant belly, like thinking like, oh yeah, like this baby's going to be so calm. We've just got this, like, this is going to be amazing because look, I'm like doing all this meditation. This is going to rock. And, and then anyone, of course, who has children knows that like hits you like, oh my gosh, it's so much harder than you ever thought it would be. Um, for me, the teacher, my biggest teacher was my temper. I mean, that's for, that's my, my biggest teacher. My, I could see it. It was like from my father. My father had a big temper. I'm a lot like my father. We're very similar kind of creative personalities. And, um, 
And it was exactly what I didn't want. It was exactly what I was, I had vowed not to do was to like scare my child the way my father had scared me. And then I could see, like I was yelling at her and I had scared her and I could just see, you know, you know, and it wasn't just once, you know, I, this temper came out and, and I could really like, you know, it left me kind of in a puddle, you know, it left me feeling miserable and like I'm a terrible mother. But then I, you know, there was nothing, nowhere to go from there except like, okay, well, what can I learn from this? Like, how, how do I deal with this? How do I learn from this? And, you know, at the time I'd been studying a lot of peaceful parenting things and practices. And a lot of the information was like, you know, just say this, just respond this way and everything's going to be cool. <laughs> and I was like, but I'm losing my mind, you know, like I can't because I'm losing it. So I had to really dive back into my mindfulness and to start to understand my reactivity and start to really build that self-compassion and all of these things to, to be able to integrate, like, and to be able to get to like what I was going to say, I had to work on the inside first and to really calm that reactivity. So that's why it was my greatest teacher for sure. Yeah. I mean, mindfulness as a practice is so great because we know all of the benefits that it gives us in accordance to what we're experiencing at that moment in time. And that is subject to change at any given moment. So suddenly you become a parent and you're, you're interfacing with a whole different set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. So it really does put the mindfulness practice to the test. I think that happens every day in that whether it's in the discovery of who we are as a parent or who we are in a conversation with a total stranger today. So I think it's so great the way you just jumped into that immediately in the book. And, you know, I commend you for your honesty because, you know, to really talk about losing it and talk about the, the temper that you felt you could identify with, <clears throat> excuse me, which is something that your father had. And I, you know, I, I have said that it's interesting as a parent when suddenly we say something to our children. I remember the first time I said something and I said, oh my God, I, I suddenly feel like I'm my mother right this minute. <laughs> I think I just became my mother. <laughs> in, yeah. in, you know, in this moment, and those are great aha moments, but mm -hmm. to literally learn how to change that like you did, you know, I want to discuss, um, I guess you could say one of the cardinal rules of mindfulness, and that's breaking the cycle of reactivity. Mm -hmm. So there you were looking at something like your own given temper, which is just completely fueled by reactivity, um, which is also one of your beginning chapters, breaking the cycle of reactivity. Let's get our listeners acquainted, Hunter, if you will, with what happens when parents react to their children and how mindfulness is the superpower they need and how they can strengthen their non-reactive muscle you know, walk them through a little bit of how you did that perhaps. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, th there's a couple of places to start. I mean, mindfulness, what's a beautiful about a mindfulness practice and, and that all those, those kind of aha moments, they led me to really go back to my mindfulness practice and to strengthen it, to make it more solid and to bring it more into my daily life. Cause it's, it's useless if you're just sitting on the cushion and then it's not in your daily life. But you know what, as we sit, as we sit on a chair, we sit in a meditation practice, we sit with mindfulness meditation practice, we're, we're practicing to be, you know, in the moment, intentionally be in the moment, 
non-judgmentally with an attitude of kindness and curiosity and to keep our attention kind of coming back to the present moment every time it wanders because the brain thinks that's what it does it's we're not trying to stop thinking we're just trying to like build you know we're doing that 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 bicep curl right um and so what happens with that is that we end up like sitting and all kinds of stuff comes up all, all, all this, you know, anxieties come up, thought you think a thought and that leads to a feeling and, and then all this stuff comes up. And as you sit with that, you're practicing to just not react to it, right? So you're building a muscle of non-reactivity. You're allowing yourself to kind of sit with that. And that builds that muscle so that we can, you know, that's a practice that we can do every day so that we can build it kind of throughout the long-term and, and of course do it. So, but then in those moments, in our, you know, when you're being really triggered, that's that stress response is, is happening, right? Like your, your nervous system is perceiving your child or the other as a threat. And so all that stress response stuff is happening. Your muscles are tensing, your, your breath is becoming shallow, you feel hotter and your body's preparing to act, right? To, to be reactive on purpose, right? Like this is how we are wired for survival. And I think it's so important to realize that that this is just, these are just causes and conditions that cause this to happen. Like I had a certain upbringing. I have a certain set of genetics. There was a certain situation with my daughter and a certain responses. Nothing I did in those, any of those moments was like, I'm choosing this, right? So I think that's really important to realize like, this is our nervous system. This is our biology. This is what we evolved to have. And we, when that happens, we're, we're literally to be reactive. Our, our nervous system is literally bypassing the upper part of our brain that the part of our brain that takes a long time to think things through like logical thinking and empathy and, and, and verbal ability and all of those things so that we can be reactive. So it, the really, in that moment, all we want to do is like kind of act and protect ourselves but really it's about it's about taking care of that nervous system because the same thing then of course is happening with your child on the other end is that you're big and you're you look angry and your voice is loud and so their stress response is firing off like crazy because it's like the only system in the body that's fully developed before birth like right at birth it's like the part of the brain that's like fully fully developed and so they can't learn anything either so you're both just like these firing off nervous systems and it's really under i think for me it's really helpful to understand that the way mindfulness helps us to calm that system down and other things help us to calm that system down and that that really is like the key to you know creating habits that steady the heart and the mind and the nervous system is, is really the key to being able to then take any kind of steps you want to take from there, you know, anything, any choices that you want to make, because then you have a little bit of space to be able to choose. I mean, there's, there's kind of a lot in there, but. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, when I try to, you know, when I explain mindfulness to many of the people that I work with and that I, with my writing and my books, et cetera, I, I really, it's not to dumb it down, but it's really to give it sort of the more entry point of understanding that mindfulness is being in the present moment with total awareness. Mm -hmm. That is key in the understanding of the awareness factor, the ability to observe, the ability to understand, because many people have this myth around 
contemplative practices like mindfulness meditation that suddenly you're never going to be angry again and suddenly you're in a formal meditation and you are not going to think thoughts anymore that couldn't be further from the truth the observation component of mindfulness is so incredibly important in that everything that you described and you write about in the book is that with that with the awareness that i'm really triggered right now I'm really heated up. I am in a fight or flight state. The awareness to be able to assess the state of mind or emotionality that we're in is so incredibly powerful with the practice of mindfulness that you have that space between the awareness and the reactivity to understand with compassion, I am very much in a state right now that could cause me or someone that I love hurt or harm in some way, be it verbal or even physical. Do you know how far we can let ourselves go with that reactivity? So for our listeners, and I think for anybody who's really needing to understand like, well, what do I really do? What does it look like? Like, tell me what I need to do when I'm really fueled up and fired up and angry. For me, the number one sort of go-to is to be the observer as opposed to the reactor. And you, you know, you go on to say things in the book like be less autopilot, be more present. Do you know? We we go into these automatic places. So let's talk a little bit about that, the automatic impulses that we might have and how mindfulness helps us move through it with more clarity. Sure. Yeah. And I think that it's so important to, for us to just like not blame and shame ourselves for these automatic responses. Like that's such a big piece, I think for me to, to just help us understand like this nervous system response, this is just not a choice you made. You know, this is not a choice we made. So when we can understand that, we can say, okay, I'm having a nervous system response rather than what's wrong with me, right? And that gives us like a little bit of wiggle room. And so there's kind of two paths to take here. And one is kind of that like long-term path of like building the muscle, right? So if you're having reactive moments with your kids, I kind of think of it like, like it's like the big game, right? Like if you had a child, you put them in the Little League World Series, you know, like this is like the big game, but you would never put your child in the Little League World Series without having them practice a whole bunch. Like you would never put them in without practice, without skills, without building that muscle memory. And that's kind of the same for us. Like we've got to build that practice and skill of non-reactivity over, you know, it, over everyday practice, everyday life. And we kind of build that ability within us. That's what our regular everyday practice does. It is. And, so and you're right, Hunter, this is a day-to-day -day practice. This is something that we become much more conscious of as we practice it, do you know? And I, I do think it's so important to talk about the understanding of giving ourselves the compassion of that we're in process and that we're not gonna, you know, the expectation to be this enlightened being all at once yeah. is just so unrealistic, do you know? <laughs> yes. You're not going to be the Dalai Mama. Like that's not going to happen. Like I'm not the Dalai Mama. I still <laughs> lose it sometimes, yeah. but it, it builds that, it builds that muscle. Right. And yes. then, yeah. And isn't it great to even let our children be aware of that? Like we're not mm -hmm. perfect and we're yes. also learning as we're going along. Yes. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, there's problems with that, which we can get into later, but 
but then like when you're in that moment, right? So for, ideally, like you're trying, you're building that muscle, you're building that muscle. And then you get to this moment, right? Where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm losing it. So what we want to do is use that, that muscle that we're building to kind of move the, our awareness back in the timeline. Because as we're kind of in that hot moment, our awareness is not you know, we're just like wanting to be right, wanting to defend ourselves, wanting to make something happen, wanting to make that other do something so I will feel better. And we're just kind of all wrapped up into it and that awareness is not really turned on so much. So as we practice, we can start to um, turn that awareness on earlier in the timeline. So if we, sometimes what people do in wanting to be more mindful and wanting to be calmer and things like that is that they're like, I'm calm, I'm calm, I'm calm, I'm calm, I'm calm, ah, I'm losing it, you know, so like, we're, like, yeah, and it's going to come out in another way, even no matter how much you stuff it down in the moment, you might really will yourself to be calm, but you know that it's going to rear its head somewhere else. Yeah, like, yeah, so given moment. I know we have to, there's a piece about, you know, there is a piece of like, let's invite these calmer energies into our body, like there's definitely a place for that. But there's also, we have to start to acknowledge and accept wherever we are in that moment. And when we can do that, that's really what mindfulness is, is like, oh, I'm, if we can label out loud, I'm starting to feel really annoyed right now. I'm starting to get really frustrated, right? We say these things out loud. It's the same as noting and labeling in yes. our meditation practice, yes. but we're saying it out loud. And as we do that, we can be a bell of mindfulness to say, Oh, okay. I'm starting to feel really frustrated. That is a clue that I maybe need to take a break. I maybe need to let the body lead the mind to start to slow down that stress response or use the, the mind to lead the body, like taking just deep, slow breaths, whatever you're doing to cal calm down that stress response. As we, um, if you, if you catch it later, right? Like if you're further down the timeline, you're like, Oh my goodness. So this happened to me at one point, like earlier um, last winter, my daughter, we had had a movie night. My daughter, who was nine at the time, she didn't want to go to bed. And it was that late night, like, oh, I'm so done with you kind of energy. And she started, uh -huh. you know, I was just like, go to bed. And I, she, she, I was just trying to like, okay, I just got to ignore this. Let me just like read my book. And she started laughing at me. And boy, it was a whole new trigger that I hadn't realized that I had. And I got boom, so angry. And I, I could like, suddenly I'm like this strategy I had just ignoring this annoying behavior was not working all of a sudden. And so I could feel like I was so enraged. And so what I did in that moment, and this is something we can practice too, and we can kind of visualize ahead of ourselves practicing, but I, I yelled, but I yelled skillfully. So I yelled, I am really angry right now. <laughs> and I went on how how you were angry. Yeah, I was kind of labeling my feelings and but I was trying not to like attack her but so I just said I'm really angry right now and I slammed the door. I walked outside. I threw my book on the driveway. I was really angry. It took me about 20 minutes to walk off my temper, which I hadn't felt like that in a long time, but it was it's one of these strategies that we can say just acknowledging our humanity, acknowledging that we're not perfect that we can start to say, this is what's going on for me right now. This is what's going on for me right now. And as we start to acknowledge it within and also acknowledge it verbally, it's like, 
oh, it creates this tiny, tiny little shift of that energy that may have been going like towards this person is shifting it slightly sideways, right? So then we can kind of then take care of that energy. And, and we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be calm all the time, but no, that piece it's just, about- It's not realistic. No. And I think that's what's really, to me, what was the most um, endearing part of your book. And you started, like I said, from the onset in that, you know, the, the whole sort of mythology around, again, these contemplative practices, You've got to be the Zen Buddha all the time, and the and you know people would would even ask me with the work that I do with transformational thinking and mindfulness. Well, but but anger or negative thoughts. I said yes, we will get angry again, and yes, we think between forty and seventy thoughts a day, and quite a few of them are or a lot of them are not positive. We're presenting this up in a way that is realistic, and that's what you go on throughout the book is that you talk about you know, the ways in which you can really apply it and that it's, it's so user-friendly, you know, to, especially to moms that maybe are really new to mindfulness and new to meditation. This is completely maybe uncharted territory for them. And I think it's so incredibly valuable for people that don't really know what to do with these emotions. You know, I want to go into a little bit um, that I, I always love mentioning the benefits of meditation, mindfulness, and that they're evidence-based, you know, and you go into a little bit about that in the book. And from a neuroscientific standpoint, there are actual changes in our brain when we do things like mindfulness meditation. I want to talk a little bit about that because I think it's, it's also important to let people know that there's actually something that happens to us when we start to, you know, calm ourselves down, you know, so, so talk to our listeners a little bit about oh, sure. how you discovered that and your thoughts around that. I, I think it's so fascinating. I mean, because there's this like technology, right, that we've had for 2600 years right and it, I kind of think of it as this brain hack like somebody they decided we yes. just sit down and 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 all these benefits kind of happen as we start to sit still and not do it's pretty kind of it's it's really like anti-instinctual it's kind of doesn't make sense right to that survival um part of our brain and nervous system, but it's so interesting. Like, yeah, Johns Hopkins found 47 different studies. They did a meta-analysis of 47 different studies that showed that that mindfulness like really reduces anxiety, it reduces depression, increases feelings of well-being, it improves your sleep. I mean, really it improves your health outcomes. I mean, the list goes on as far as the benefits. It's kind of pretty amazing as far as as far as it goes because it's accessible to every single person you know it's there's you don't need any special technology to do it and it's pretty amazing what it does in the brain which i think is so interesting like they so they did those mri brain scans and they after like and i think it's an eight-week course of like an mbsr type um meditation practice the amygdala, which are these sort of like two little almond-shaped clusters in in the the brain stem, and they're they're kind of like the uh, the alarm bells of the nervous system of that stress response. They um, they after that eight week course, they would actually shrink in density, and so they're not quite sure why, but they would actually shrink in density. And the prefrontal cortex, which is like you know the brain, is a very complex, interconnected thing, but generally it's where you know, our higher order thinking, verbal ability, empathy, problem solving, all of that important good stuff that we need to parent from 
comes from, you know, that area would actually grow thicker and more dense in brain in, in gray matter. And the connectivity between the amygdala and the rest of the brain would actually weaken, which is so fascinating. fascinating. So we're like literally changing the brain. You know, it feels like you're kind of sitting there doing nothing like, oh my goodness, I'm, what am I doing here? You know, but you are literally exercising the brain so that you can be less reactive. I mean, it's pretty creating, amazing. Yeah, creating new neural pathways. So because of that, you actually, your mind starts to default to those more relaxed or what I like to call building healthy thinking habits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't have to be a neuroscientist to, you know, know all about this. What's great is yes, you feel the benefits of it, but also it's important to know that we're really changing the brain and we get tremendous benefits from changing the brain, you know, it's, been, it's just so utterly fascinating. Um, I've said since my children were little that they let me know who they are. I don't tell them who they are. I don't, I don't remember ever telling my two boys, well, this is who you are. You know, I want them to open up like a lotus flower and show me who they are. So I've really taken great pride in letting them do that. I really like that you wrote about seeing your child with fresh eyes. I thought that was lovely. That's not easy for a lot of parents because they want their children to be who they want them to be and don't always accept who they truly are or especially who they are in the present moment which as we know, as mindfulness practitioners, that that changes from moment to moment. So talk to us about that and you, you know why you wrote that, seeing your child with fresh eyes. Talk to us yeah. about that. I mean, we do, we tend to take a lot of shortcuts as parents. I mean, as all humans, we take, we take shortcuts, like we, we create labels and we're not we're not thinking through every step of our day, you know, normally you know, making fresh decisions, which is good in a lot of ways, but it's this kind of autopilot thing. The brain says, okay, we figured that out and now I'm not going to kind of think it through anymore. But with our children, it's not so great because they are literally, you know, I mean, just as we are, they're changing. They're never the same person twice. It's that river you step into. It's never the same river twice. They're constantly changing. And when they're little, they're just changing so quickly. I mean, even when they're, they're older, I mean, my girls are 10 and 13 now when they're in their twenties, they're changing so quickly. We're all kind of changing so quickly. So to acknowledge that is to start to kind of let go of our preconceptions about who they are. And, and it's really fun and actually really like wonderful and freeing to put ourselves in the place of like, curiosity, right? Like it's a, there's a spectrum between judgment and curiosity and judgment is like, I've closed the door on this. I know what this is and, and I'm not open-minded at all. And curiosity of course is the opposite side of the spectrum. And when we can get into that curious place of, of open-minded, who are you today? It's really amazing. And we can start to see with fresh eyes. So rather than saying, you know, old thoughts may come up about a child's behavior, for instance, like um, people, a lot of people often think like that they're doing that to, to get to me or manipulate me or something like that. It's a very common way of thinking. And when we can start to look with fresh eyes, we can start to get curious. Why, why is my child doing that? What needs are they trying to meet? You know, what, who are they right now? What are they interested in? And then we can bring this like light of attention. And I think it really, you know, there's a, like attention 
and love are, are really, you know, loving someone is giving them attention, right? Like I kind of think of like the word attention here with a little equal sign to the word love, right? Like that when, you know, like when we're in love with something, we're just like, oh my gosh, it's all we want to give our attention to. And when we can be curious about who are you, what are you, that really is a form of loving them. And then it is. Yes, it incredible. is. <laughs> it's yeah. just really incredibly helpful with those bad moments too, right? Like oh, yeah. when their behavior is terrible and it just like, I remember seeing the quote of like, uh, when our, when they're acting the worst is when they need the most love or something like that. And it really is true. Like when we're, we're feeling bad, they're feeling badly, we are, they're acting badly. And if we can start to be curious about that rather than that judgmental place, then we can start to just understand more, like, what are you needing? What do you need to learn right now? How do, you know, how can I relate to you better right now? It just puts us in a place where we have more options to be more skillful in response as well. Yes. And I also think that this is a long-term journey relationship oh, yeah. with our children. You talk about your children. I mean, one of them is now entered into the teenage mm -hmm. uh, period, and that can bring up all sorts of things. And I think with our children, you know, it's a lot, my, my kids are in their twenties and we are forever going to be in this relationship with them that what comes up or who they even become you know it's it's so that that process of being and becoming you know and I think where mindfulness comes in the understanding of well can I have a aware conscious relationship with my children that they're going to be evolving and showing me who they are again as I said you know you talk about kids bringing up our stuff our stuff is going to be brought up it never stops. It's never going to stop, by the way. I, mean, I can say as having older children, suddenly, you know, you, I don't have children that are tattooed, but, you know, I just came to mind, fresh in my mind, like a, a kid can come home with tattoos and a parent can completely freak out. They're going to make decisions on their own, especially once they turn 21. And we are always going to be in that state of choosing to react or to accept. Do you know, there's always going to be that that state. You talked about your anger. You you write about kids bring up our stuff, as you say, things like our own unresolved issues, and how can we disarm our triggers and even keep track of them. So let's get into a little bit of your practices and what you offer up in the book, Hunter, so that our listeners can kind of know how this works. Sure. I mean, so the basic practice is a basic meditation practice, and I think that's just such a skill for life that we need. And, and it can, it can be start really small. I think a five to 10 minute practice is wonderful. That's amazing. A three minute practice. That's great. If you're doing that every day, rock on, that's awesome. Um, but that's really, I think sort of that foundational practice to start to shift things. But then, uh, so as we, as you move through the book, you'll see like in that chapter two, starting to understand your triggers, like we often, we don't, we don't realize it because kind of we've gone through our life and we're like, oh, I've got a lot of things figured out. And then you're back in that parent-child relationship and it's like, oh my goodness. And, and I think it's just helpful to start to examine some of those things. And I offer a set of uh, questions in there and to kind of understand your own upbringing, what you know, what you may, what baggage you may have from your own childhood. It's really helpful to do some unpacking of that, right? Because otherwise, if we don't 
examine those things, then the research really shows that we're, we're going to repeat those patterns. And if we, if we really like, um, you know, if we really, really push it away or we don't examine them, then we're, then the research shows we're likely to repeat those patterns. So part of parenting our children is helping ourselves to, um, to heal our, our own, own wounds because our kids will point out where we're, where we're wounded and where we're hurt. And we, in order to not repeat the harmful patterns that we didn't like, we have to start to examine them and unpack them and not make them. I, I, there's a statement and I don't know where I heard it from, but I love the idea of the walking with your shadow in front of you. And uh, the idea that when it's behind you, you know, your shadow is this big, scary thing that you don't want to look at. It gets even scarier. But if you start to walk with your shadow in front of you, you're saying, oh, here's my shadow. There it is. I have this, these, these tendencies, this baggage, this stuff. And then we can start to deal with it. It's a little less scary, right? So if we can start to bring that awareness around to it. So, so part of it is to just slow ourselves down enough to do some of this work, like journaling with these questions, noticing when you're getting really upset, like what's going on, you know, what, what time of day is it for you? What, what are the feelings you're having? What are the questions? What are the things, your thoughts you're thinking in your mind in response to your child's, you know, behavior um, so that you can start to like unpack and examine some of this stuff. And that's when we get to that point of choice, right? Rather than just reacting. Right. I think your exercise is really a good one. Um, the exercise in how we're, how we were parented, because I think that I always thought of that is we have two choices in our lives and we have many choices obviously but in the area of that I think for people that come from a type of parenting that they perceived as dysfunctional mm -hmm. and then you become a parent yourself and you have a choice really to decide do I want to parent the way I was parented I mean these are conscious decisions that we make and where mindfulness comes into play here is as an incredibly valuable tool to use in that discovery is that you're having an awareness. You, first of all, you acknowledge with this exercise that you offer up, which is very important. How, how was I parented? So you, so you can look at that very closely. How do I not want to parent this way? And if, or when something comes up where I am in fact triggered, how do I not parent as I was parented? You know, it's almost like a three-tiered process. So I think the way in which you even invite the reader in to take a look at that closely is so important because I don't think that's a question a lot of people ask themselves or, or sit with. You know, let me look at how I was parented and how did that make me feel? And how was that not helpful for me or in fact maybe harmful? And how can I then not, as you say, pass that down generationally because that's really it. It's just passed down generation to generation. I know these generational patterns. And the thing is like our culture, we're so individualistic. You know, we have this great belief in our willpower, which is like great, but it's a little erroneous, unfortunately. Like we have all these causes and conditions and we 
we are very much interconnected with our ancestors and the people who became before us and the people who came after us and and we are you know there are all these causes and conditions that have shaped you in your life and and how you were raised is a really big one even if you don't like how you were raised it still has a big lasting effect on you and so to i think it's really helpful to just understand that that these some of the ideas and the reactions you have like that that again it's like it's not your fault like this is what this is what's in your life and you didn't choose it you know right. but if when we can start to understand and say ah i have this here hello anxiety old friend i see you there hello temper hello again i see you there right yes. then we can start to work with it when we don't make it all about our own character you know i think understanding that these the reactions and the thoughts and the things that that are that come out kind of from us when we're squeezed are, are not things that we chose in a lot of ways like they're just they're 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 causes and conditions from a lot of life from life and then we can say oh this is here i have this here and then we can start to, that's when we can start to choose when to stay oh, this is the reality of what I'm working with. I'm a perfectly imperfect human, just like everybody else. And I've got all this baggage. And now that's when we can start to free ourselves from it a little bit more when we actually look at it. Well, I think that's really, Hunter, where you, you know, where, my, where compassion comes into play. You know, I think that so much of mindfulness, as we know, is practicing compassion. And, but I don't think a lot of parents understand how much self-compassion they need to have in the parenting process. They can be really hard on themselves when it comes to their parenting abilities, as we know, and you honestly share that in your book. Parents can be even extremely judgmental and critical of themselves. I want to talk about the self-compassion cure that you offer up for your readers, because I think it's extremely important for parents, for everybody, parent or not, but we're focusing more on parenting with your book. This whole notion of self-compassion is really essential. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. The people who come to mindful parenting are often these like really high achievers, right? Like they can do a lot of stuff in life. They can get good grades, they can get a good job, they're doing all these great things, they're learning about mindfulness, they want to improve, they want to be better parents, which is amazing. And it's great. And that's what you need to like get started down this work is that you really need to care and you want to be able to do that, which is great. But this kind of like we're in this kind of high achieving world where especially women like we're just taught that you know, you have to do everything perfectly and, and look good doing it. And you have to be nice and you have to be kind. And so the, the idea of like, even looking at our aggression is just like, oh, horror, I don't have any aggression, oh, uh -huh. not me, you know, but, um, but this, to, to understand the self-compassion piece, I mean, and we also live in a very judgmental culture, you know, where we, we judge each other pretty harshly. And so a lot of times when we make a mistake, when we raise our voice and we know that it's triggering our child's stress response and we don't want to do that, then, oh, the voice that happens, you know, inside is really harsh and mean. It's like, you know, you're a terrible parent, what's wrong with you? You know, we talk to ourselves in this like horrible way. And, and 
you know, part of us thinks that's like helpful. Like there's a part of us that thinks that's helpful because this is kind of the culture that we live in is that we're kind of in this shaming and blaming culture. But the truth is like, there's all this great research on self-compassion. The truth is, is that, and I, I think it makes a lot of sense to me because uh, there's this research that shows that uh, practices of self-compassion actually make you more able to like grow and learn um, than if you are not practicing self-compassion. And it makes a lot of sense to me because like, if you're trying to do something different that's outside your comfort zone. So, you know, Hunters and Aura, I watched this thing and they said to start to name my feelings as I was getting, as I was uh, feeling them. And so I'm trying to do this new thing that's a little outside my comfort zone, or I'm trying to understand my childhood, which is a little outside my comfort zone. And say you you do that, and then you're doing this, this new thing, and then you are inevitably human and you make a mistake and you mess it up. If you respond to yourself in like a really mean, harsh, you know, way, then you're not going to want to step outside that comfort zone again. But if you respond to yourself with a little grace of like speaking to yourself as if you were someone you loved, right? Um, oh, this is hard. You're not used to this. This is a new thing and you can always try again. Then you're actually able to do it again, to step outside your comfort zone because you're giving yourself that soft landing and that soft landing allows you to grow and learn and do the things, you know? So sometimes it's it's our love of our kids that helps us to practice self-compassion as well, because, you know, ultimately they're at some point they're going to hear your inner voice, right? Like it's going to come out at some point. Like <laughs> my mom used to say, I love my mom. She's amazing. She's incredibly compassionate person. She's a hospice nurse, but, um, or was, but she used to say to herself when I was little, she would look in the mirror and say to herself that she's so ugly. And I saw that and I, of course, what happened to me, like she didn't intend to teach me this lesson, but then in my late teens and early twenties, I looked in the mirror and I told myself how ugly I was. And that's heartbreaking, right? Like, but the, the thing is, is that that inner, the point is, is that inner voice is gonna come out eventually. Like you're not gonna live 18 years with your kids in the house and they're never gonna know what that inner voice is. And so it's the practice, even if it feels awkward and strange and weird oh. to like start to shift that and be kinder to ourselves is, you know, incredibly fruitful, if not for yourself, then for your kids. Absolutely. You know, and they, they, they're smart and they're intuitive and they see things, you know, I wanna bring in, Another another element here that I think is really important because we talk about things like self-compassion and just compassion, compassion for ourselves, compassion for others, which again is, is part of the mindfulness practice. But I also want to bring up something that I observed last year. We all know that it has been an incredibly challenging time. I'm on social media and what I started to see was some humor around self-deprecation, okay? And in the area of even parenting, there were so many TikTok videos and memes floating around of moms, some of them celebrities spoofing on the stresses of parenting during lockdown with their children, okay? Things like showing themselves laying in an empty bathtub with a bottle of wine, um, emotional eating, or literally hiding themselves in their closets away from their children. I mean, yes, on the surface, it could seem humorous in its presentation, but I would venture to say that millions of moms and parents we're feeling extremely stressed last year, okay? So you bring up something in the book called habit, habitual responses to feelings, do you know? 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about that because, you know, also just to really emphasize to people that are listening with us today, yes, you're, for those of you that are new to trying some of these skill sets that might seem a little bit daunting, but I also always like to bring in there like, don't be so hard on yourself, lighten up a little bit. And the humor thing is something I think we could all relate to right now, do you know, yeah. is that rather than always be stuck in the reactivity, the humor is something that I think parents could use a little bit more of themselves, you know, lighten up. For sure. So, but let's talk about habitual responses to feelings, because I think that fits into this. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It, you know, we talk about this a lot in mindful parenting because they, you know, we weren't taught this stuff. Like the, the things we were, the messages we were given about our feelings were uh, like, just don't have them or, you know, go away. Like there's something wrong with you for basically having these feelings. And so we're, we're, we're never kind of taught how to take care of our emotions effectively and how to process them effectively. Um, I certainly wasn't. And that's not our parents' fault. Like no one was teaching them or talking about, you know, that's not, that's not to blame them, but that's just how it is. But so kind of by habit, we're either, we either learn to either kind of drown in our feelings or, or they like, you know, we, we kind of block them or we drown in them basically. So we're kind of blocking them off. Like, oh, I feel something uncomfortable in here. I don't want to feel that I'm going on social media. I'm doing the dishes. I'm tidying up the living room. I'm doing anything I can do to not pay attention to this uncomfortable feeling I have. Right. Um, and so we either block until, and I kind of think about it, like our feelings are like this, like a, like a, blown up beach ball that we're pushing under the water, right? Like we're pushing it down. But then, you know, you know what happens with that is that it like pops up like in some random direction, even higher than it would have before, right? Because we're trying to push it down and stuff it away and not not have it. And that's what happens is when we drown or kind of explode is like when those feelings completely overwhelm us, we have no way to to handle it. We're either like yelling or we're just you know, I remember I used to get panic attacks in a high school parking lot I used to teach at. And, um, and, and that's kind of that, that exploding piece and the, and the drought or drowning. And it, and really the, what we want is we want to have the muscle, the skill, the ability to mindfully go through our feelings. Cause I, I really think that I, I like to think of our feelings are like, like annoying three-year-olds are just like, they just are like tugging at our pants and they're like, you will feel me. You will hear me and listen to me. I will be here until you pay attention to me. Right. And that's how our feelings are. And so we have to kind of feel them. We have to see them, hear them, acknowledge them, get the message that they're, that are coming across. And there's a path to doing that. We can mindfully walk that middle path through feeling your feelings. And, and I talk about that in the book and it's it's to me it's very simple now but it's it's revolutionary when you haven't you know when it was like oh my goodness i had when i discovered this it was like wow who knew we didn't have, we didn't have any of this i i would venture to say i don't want to be presumptuous in our parents generational generation their abilities to parent like this i mean things like emotional regulation and mm -hmm. you know emotional intelligence if you will and also i don't want to discount the fact that we may be parents but we have the little child within us too and when that feeling goes like this, or excuse me, but I need you to pay attention to me. It's like, we have to acknowledge the little child within ourselves and give it time to also mindfully be aware of who's in control, 
who's in the driver's seat right now? Is this, an, a, is this a mature adult parent or just an adult? Or am I being at the effect of my child within and trying to parent my child? Do you know? Yeah. So it's, again, mindfulness will always give you the benefit of the awareness of what you're experiencing in the moment. Do you know, just I want our listeners to understand the incredible benefits you get from practicing mindfulness, one of them being really a heightened state of awareness of everything that's going on with what you're feeling, seeing, sensing, experiencing. I want to, I see the time is flying by. I knew this was going to happen. I want to talk about conflict resolution through balancing needs. You say, how we resolve our conflicts, reflect our deeper views about humanity, and we unconsciously transmit these to our children. I thought that was a really interesting uh, way to put it. Explain more about this to our listeners. Oh yeah, I mean, this is fascinating to me because I think what's in the micro level of the family is really in the macro level of like society, right? And we're seeing that now with like, the sort of like strong man authoritarian version, right? Like of like what I say goes, you know, um, kind of the, and the, the difficulties as we shift from that kind of leadership to a different leadership. And I really think it's important for us to realize that, yeah, like what we're teaching our kids in the family really matters. And so, you know, a lot of us were raised with authoritarian parents, which means that it's like the parents are always pushing down the solutions on the child and they're using power like punishment and rewards to, um, to make, you know, to ensure compliance, right? The problems with that, like there, this is a huge, this is a whole podcast, but that, you know, it ultimately makes people resentful. It makes kids resentful if you're giving, you know, orders and threats and using those tools. Um, it, and, and what happens is that you also run out of power when your kids become more older and more independent. And then you've lost all the influence you had because they resent you, you know? And so what, instead of saying, um, instead of this way, there's actually a really much easy, you know, another way of solving problems because conflicts are inevitable. We're going to have conflicts um, because they're going about meeting their needs and we're going about meeting our needs and kids are pretty unskillful and immature by definition. So that's going to happen. We're going to have conflicts. And, but if we can start to look at it instead of, um, instead of the way that we've habitually looked at it, if we can instead say, what are you, what are your needs and what are my needs here? Right. So often we're like at the level of solutions, like don't, would that be, would that be Hunter? Cause would that be what you call the win-win problem solving? Yes. Yes, exactly. So like, we're like at this level of solutions, like don't jump on the couch, right? Like we don't want our kids to jump on the couch, which is great. But like, if we kind of look and we say, what need is my child meeting in this moment? Like maybe they are like have a need to like exercise, move their body, jump up and down. And maybe you can start to say, oh, okay. You know, I'm gonna like, maybe I'm gonna let them go outside and jump on the trampoline or I'm gonna like have, let's go run around the house three times or, you know, what are different ways we can meet our needs? So if we can kind of get to the level underneath sort of this higher level of solutions and look at what are the needs that we have that need to be met, then, it's, it's a much more skillful way of problem solve, solving problems. And it teaches kids to take into account other people's needs, right? Wouldn't it be, which is really much more realistic and 
workplaces where we work with each other, right? We have to take into account people's needs. And so that's much more realistic than, you know, the person with the most power always wins. Um, does that make sense? Yes, and that they are, we're also teaching them that they're not always gonna come first. And yeah. that in as much as we can meet each other's needs, we have to understand that our needs are not, not that they're any less important, but that our needs are not always going to come first or be addressed. And I think that's a very important uh, thing to teach children, do you know, so that you are having them understand that both parties have needs in any dynamic. Yes, yes. Like, you know? I know we, we often want to like just solve all our kids' problems, but it, and, and make our kids comfortable, right? Like there's this whole world of parenting, which is like about like, let's just make sure our kids get all their needs met. Let's make sure they're comfortable and happy. And that's like great, like in, in some ways, but like you have needs too. Your, your needs are just as important as your kids' needs. And it's important for you to communicate in such a way that you're saying that, well, I, you know, we can't do this because this is interfering with my needs, but let's figure out how we can meet both of our needs. Exactly. And there's just a lot of things that our children need to learn along the way, as well as, of course, we want to see their needs met and we want to see them safe and healthy and happy. But we also know that there are going to be times where they're going to be uncomfortable and they're not going to feel the instant gratification of having their needs met. So these skill sets are so important to implement. We have just a little bit of time left. So tell our listeners how they can best support their peaceful home and how they can shift toward a more mindful life. Well, I mean, I think that what you're doing right now, like listening to Ura's podcast is such a great start, like filling yourself up and learning and, and starting to shift a mindset. That's such a valuable way. I mean, I'm a big podcast listener. I have the Mindful Mama podcast. I think that this kind of like getting that support, because you might be in a world where they're saying, here, you know, you, you know, you just have to, you know, make your kids sit on the steps. Uh, and, 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 you know, people might think you're crazy if you're like, I want to get my needs met and my kids' needs met. So it's really helpful to like surround yourself with the kind of community and the kind of thinking that, you know, if you're working on evolving your parenting and you want to have more cooperation and, and the, the beauty of what I teach in raising good humans is that in mindful parenting is that it like gets easier and easier over time rather than harder and harder over time, which is really nice, but to surround yourself with resources and to practice, you know, just start like one small step. Like what is the one takeaway you're taking from this that has like resonated with you? And can you write down an intention and say, you know, write it down on three or four post-it notes and put it up around a couple places around your house and say, I'm gonna be kinder to myself when I mess up. Um, something, you know, I think just starting with these small bit by bit changes, are, that's really how we make the most powerful change and that and surrounding ourselves with um, with learning with community with with guidance you know um, I don't know you know it's like we need to for me it takes more than just as I start to want to learn something it takes a lot of a lot of resources it takes a lot of dedication it takes a lot of shift and change and um and that's beautiful work to do like why not let's change these generational patterns absolutely and you've done a beautiful job with your book raising good humans i highly recommend it listeners out there you know i commend you hunter because i know that when 
I, for the work that you do and that you're doing with your Mindful Mama podcast and really bringing the mindfulness into these, you know, new generations around parenting and that we're not alone in this process. I remember when I had my first child, the Bible was what to expect when you're expecting <laughs> which is a book that all the things to worry about and be fearful of when you're pregnant okay thank you exactly <laughs> right I was like that was the bible people every woman was like turning the pages and when I think of how far it's come to now I mean I feel so grateful you know your kids again are younger than mine but that I can implement my mindfulness work with my children as they are men out in the world, you know, I mean, they're, they're still in their 20s, so they're not, you know, they, they have left the nest, but I can still share the wisdom with them about mindfulness. And that with this work that you're doing is so valuable for parents to really learn how to raise their children, not only, as you say, as good humans, but to really, the, they themselves understand what the practice of mindfulness looks like. And then they can carry that awareness, that conscious um, awareness building skills, if you will, into their lives. So we're really creating a whole new generational parenting paradigm, if you will. So I commend you again. Um, thank you, though, for, for sharing all that you have with us today and for being here on Mindfulness Monday. Tell our listeners, Hunter, if they want to learn more about you, if they want to get, again, your wonderful book, Raising Good Humans, A Mindful Guide to Breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting and Raising Kind, Confident Kids. How can they find you? Um, the easiest way is to go to mindfulmamamentor.com. You'll find the book there, the podcast, the uh, mindful parenting membership. And, and then if you're a podcast listener, of course, listen to the Mindful Mama podcast anywhere you listen to them. Um, yeah, well, thank you. I mean, it's been really a pleasure to connect again. Someday I want to connect in person, come out to beautiful California yes. and when we can move about the world again. Yes, <laughs> yes, I yes, absolutely. I would love that. I know we will hold that in our mind's eye that that yes. will be a reality that will happen. I'm picturing it. <laughs> okay, Hunter and I are holding the vision together. I love it. We are, we are holding, it. holding the sacred space that we will all be together again in person. You know, I, I absolutely love that you brought that up. And I want to, again, thank you for being our special guest today. Thank you to our listeners for being here with Hunter and I today. I hope you found this conversation helpful and illuminating as far as how you can raise good humans through the practice of mindfulness. So until we meet again, from my heart to yours, stay safe, stay present, stay kind. <laughs>